Welcome to the Why Relationships Matter podcast, powered by Goody Nation, where conversations with founders, experts, and organizations show how leveraging networks creates deep relationships that lead to revenue, funding, better CEOs, and big impacts. All right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to the next episode in the Why Relationships Matter podcast series by Goody Nation. I am Joey Womack, founder and CEO. Super excited for this conversation today. Got a great um, gentleman with me from the state of Florida doing amazing things in the financial inclusion space. Uh, And before we get right into it, want to give a little bit of background about why we're doing what we're doing. Right. And so we call this why relationships matter. So Goody Nation has been uh, focused on what we call the relationship gap. And so the relationship gap is the distance or the lack of connection between entrepreneurs and key influencers, particularly those from top companies and from top colleges. And so it leads to a lot of different things. Um, Typically, the conversation when it comes to social entrepreneurs and diverse founders is around the lack of capital. Uh, And that's a part of it as well. But when you have this large relationship gap, it leads to a few other things such as uh, mental health issues or extra stress. It leads to lack of talent for your team. It leads to things like um, lack of expert things of that that nature. And so um, our focus here at Goody Nation is to close that gap, but also shed light on why it's such a big thing. And so we have two great guests with us today, um, Brian Young and Dr. Philip Hickman. And so we'll get into their stories, uh, learn about the, the the good, the bad, the, 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 the inside scoop, and more so importantly about what they're working on today. So I'm going to kick it over to, to Brian for, for intro before we go to uh, Philip. Brian, you want to give a quick, quick intro? Yeah, yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Brian Young. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Home Lending Pal. Uh, we are an AI-powered marketplace that is utilizing blockchain to make uh, the process of buying a home more financially inclusive by hiding consumer data until after a lending decision is made, uh, which relatively means that we're turning something as complex as buying a home into an online Amazon-like shopping experience where you can put your home in a card and then artificial intelligence will basically find lenders that are willing to work with you, the best loan product for you, if that loan is a burden on your financial health, uh, and give you recommendations on ways to uh, make home ownership attainable for you. Nice, 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 nice. And we're also uh, joined by uh, Philip Hickman um, out of the Midwest. Philip, do you want to give a quick overview about about you and your company? Yes, how you doing? And, and I want to apologize. Um, I have actually... Uh, first degree chemical burn in my eyes. <laughs> um, I was using some my son's facial cream and and uh okay, I yeah I had to right? I had to actually go uh, to the to the to the doctor's office. Um but no my company is Playbook, which is an innovative reading technology that uses artificial intelligence, natural language processing and speech recognition to help uh, people learn how to read. Um, and you know we we really wanted to hit that pain point of reading um, obviously, in the United States, 75% of fourth graders in the United States read below grade level. But if you start to increase the literacy rate of adults, uh, and then when you tie it to high school dropouts, um, and 80% of prison inmates have a reading impairment that's never been corrected, and also 75% of crime in the United States is committed by high school dropouts. And so 
we want to look at closing that, that wealth gap and, and also making sure that we start from the bottom all the way up to, to uh, educate uh, those. Awesome. 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 So I, I got introduced to these uh, two gentlemen through the Hack the Wealth Gap initiative uh, powered by AARP Innovation Labs. And so we have uh, we had a, an initiative in in June, June 2021 um, to do a pitch competition winner. Um, the, well, the first place winner was was Philip. Ten thousand dollars support from AARP. Second place was was Brian. Um, and so they're doing and, and the rest of the, the finalists as well are doing amazing work. And it's been a pleasure getting to know them. More importantly, it's been it's been a pleasure getting to really know who they are and what, 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 what really powers them in their origin stories. And so I want to go a little bit back. Let's take it way back. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I start with Brian to talk a little bit about, you know, how you got to where you are today. You know, what kind of you know people influenced you? What are some of those inflection points and, and stuff like that? Yeah, um, you know, my first introduction to entrepreneurship was through my grandmother. You know, she used to bootleg liquor out of her house, you know, <laughs> in the projects. And so, you know, you, you look at the environments we come from, and I tell people all the time, you know, I think, unfortunately, while most, you know, turn to drugs because that's really the only option that, you know, you have in the hood or the projects, you know, those are actually some of the best entrepreneurs you'll ever meet, you know, to be able to manage people like that. But, uh, but anyway, my mother, my grandmother was a, was a bootlegger. Uh, and I used to help her. I would think I was like six or seven when I first started helping her keep inventory of her of her stock, you know, trying to make sure people weren't stealing stuff and, you know, counting coins, uh, you know, quarters, nickels, dollars and stuff like that and helping her out, just kind of uh, understanding, you know, business principles in general. Um, by the time I was 12, I was, you know, overseas in Japan, running my own lawn care company. There was a youth work program in which, you know, I started cutting grass to my own. And then eventually I said, you know, hey, can I expand this with the uh, military base? And uh, they, they allowed it to happen. And I got, you know, government contracts from that. Nice. Um, and then, you know, by the time I got to high school, you know, I, I couldn't work at Foot Locker or Foot Action. I guess I wasn't cute enough at the time. So, uh, you know, I, instead I, I went and I wanted to do a, a ice cream stop, uh, shop. One of the guys my mom worked with at um, Bowling Air Force Base was at an ice cream store. But, you know, Cold Stone, most people don't remember when they first opened, they were doing jingles and stuff as you came in and the ice cream was really good. I was like, you know, there's no way you can compete with that. And obviously you couldn't. They, they became a huge you know, national franchise, but instead I, you know, had a, a trucking company and that, you know, I grew very quickly. I think it was about 22 trucks, um, mm. uh, a little bit over 34 employees in two years, you know, and over 5 million in gross revenue in a two year period. Uh, and then after that, I went on to college to start my own digital marketing agency where, you know, in 2012, I did the digital strategy for the DNC and Obama. So, uh, so a lot of, you know, experience with entrepreneurship and now I'm with my fifth company, hoping that it'll be the most successful one yet. Nice. nice. No, that's, that's dope. I mean, so I started my first company in college and, and I'm a true, true believer that the, 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 the earlier you learn to go from idea to, to something tangible um, is really a, 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 in a, in a, a great predictor of success because you really perfected it. And for me, it was like stuff like organizing, like football and basketball and baseball games in the neighborhood. But you learn how to make money from an early age, which is super impressive, which again, doesn't surprise me considering the success you have today. Um, so Philip, let's, let's, let's kick it over to you. Uh, let's, let's hear a little bit about your backstory, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, mine is, uh, mine is similar as far as a young age. Uh, but mine started more with social entrepreneurialism first, and then it became to more, uh, for-profit entrepreneurialism. 
uh, at a young age, uh, you know, just like you said, I actually started a candy store in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once I was able to be around adults, um, I became the neighborhood president. I mean, in the hood, it, it means something, you know, we were, I was the neighborhood president, um, because no one will step up really. Um, and, and in that, I started to see an enterprise. I started to uh, organize um, organizations to come in and do clean safe in our neighborhoods uh, to kind of, uh, you know, have drug house watches. And, and I created a couple of nonprofits, actually received a scholarship from Bill Clinton to uh, go to high school. They actually flew us up there uh, to meet him personally uh, and to go to high, I mean, in, to go to college. Um, but I went on college on a, on a, on a full, uh, and, and the same thing as far as in high school, I actually went to, um, my, my high school was only 20% black. And so of course I would get in trouble for doing things like uh, selling candy at school. Right. Um, and then I, you know, I was always a great organizer. I organized a, a sit-in in uh, elementary school, my fifth grade, um, where they asked my parents to come get me. Um, and because they had switched from regular plates to styrofoam plates, um, and the reason why I had so much control, especially over the lunch, was back then, I'm going to date myself, lunch was like 95 cents, right? And so there was always five cents left over. And so I would have people collect everyone's five cents, and 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 that would be my business. And then I would pay those who collected it during their, their lunch shift. Um, and then I would have that extra money, you know, to, to buy extra lunch and all those kind of things. And so I was real in tune with the, the routines at lunch. Um, but, but yeah, organized a sit in, they actually had my parents come get me, but they, they switched back to regular plates because everybody will refuse to eat. Um, and then, uh, again, to, to backtrack what, when I was in high school, Bill Clinton gave us, uh, uh, uh gave me and my organization a scholarship. Um, and then in, in college, uh, even though I played, uh, college football was on an academic and football scholarship, um, I started different, uh, different uh, groups that to help children. Um, and we would get uh, donations and those kind of things. Uh, once I got, uh, I was uh, did everything in the field of education. Was a superintendent, and regardless, I always had side hustles. Uh, even even um, I can remember one time um, I was a I was a principal in Chicago, and I also had a cleaning service. Um, and I literally I would laugh at myself. I would say, "Man, you you Doctor Hickman, and you cleaning toilets, mm. you know, because it's late at night and I'm scrubbing." When my when my employees couldn't come, I had to go to those dentist offices, and I'm scrubbing toilets and all this kind of stuff. But, but hey, it was it was bringing in that extra money to to maintain the lifestyle that I had. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then so as a superintendent, uh, uh, every time I see a need, that's where I any community that I was in, whether it was in St. Louis, was in Chicago, Houston, Texas, and Mississippi, I would start things. Um, in Kansas City, I started, uh, I helped start Turn the Page KC, which is a nonprofit uh, reading organization. And then I went on to start uh, in Mississippi, Mississippi Coding Academy, which is uh, one of the top uh, and one of the first nonprofit coding academies. Um, and then in Kansas City, um, um, before I started uh, my company now, I started We Code KC uh, with my co-founder. And We Code KC, we, we actually teach coding from kids from seven to 17 years old. Um, and then the one in Mississippi Code Academy, I have a funny story. I, um, and so what we do is we, we had kids who graduated from high school, no matter where they were at in Mississippi. And these kids, these, at the time, these babies never touched technology. I mean, they never touched technology. And so what we did was we, um, when, when we, we trained them for a year. So we had to start from the beginning and really work with them all the way for a year to teach them uh, programming. 
Um, and and we received like nine million dollars from Kellogg. We received three million from FedEx. Uh, the funny thing was, I got a call, and you know we called them kids, even though they just graduated from high school. And for some reason, they didn't apply to college. They didn't apply anywhere. But the counselors, the way we flagged students was the counselor said that these students were were able, they were capable. Um, and so we got a call from FedEx where they were working, uh, and they were programmers. They were Dev One programmers after a year. And I, they said, hey, Dr. Hickman, and I, and I was like, oh, man, you know, are they not doing well? And it was like, oh, no, they're sharp. They're doing well. But for some reason, they come with a new car every day. And I was <laughs> like, oh, shoot, I didn't teach them financial literacy. <laughs> I'm like, look, $60,000, $70,000 is middle class. Like, you're, you're, you're a check away from poverty. You know, like, yeah. you got to manage your finances. So I started really incorporating uh, financial literacy within what we do. Um, and then I started, um, um, of course, I had a, a, a speaking syndicate um, and, and I, I backed that off when I was a national ambassador for the United States Department of Education. Uh, and then I, I started looking at the problem of reading. Um, and, you know, I wanted to attack financial literacy. I wanted to attack the employment, I wanted to attack the, the future employability of, of minorities. Um, and, it, and it just kept going back to, to reading. And so how could I develop something that took away the human element and so and but that still um, values the teacher that values the, the adult who's instructing, but allows an even playing field for no matter what zip code a child is coming from, no matter what area a person has grew up in or no matter what background a person has, how can we really diagnose and, and um, be real precise about an intervention to help support that person to read? Nice, 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 nice. So you again at a young age, like what you're doing right now, what you what you've accomplished should not be a surprise. At a young age, you've been an activist, you stood up for others, you've been an organizer, you know, you've been successful throughout your life. So it's I mean, this is this is awesome hearing you all's you know, origin story. And, and to be clear, like I'm a huge like Star Wars fan, like like not the the, the recent three episodes, but like the old school, like 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 70s, 80s joints, you know what I'm saying? And so like, <laughs> learning about origin stories and stuff like that is, is really my thing. And so you know, um, at Goody Nation, the reality is, you know, people would think that, you know, we're Luke Skywalker, the star, the thing with the reality. We're like we're like Yoda. We're like here for hopefully 900 years. We go off into the ether like you all are the are the store of the stars of the show. Um, so let's talk about your your Obi-Wan Kenobi's, um, the people, your, your, Han, your Han Solo's, your R2-D2's and so on and stuff like that. Who are the people who and I'm going to kick it to Brian first. Who are some of the people that's come into your life? It really made an impact, you know, maybe they're mentors, maybe they're people that, that worked at a certain company, investor, or somebody kind of along the way that really uh, helped you all out. Yeah. I, I, well, first, I have to say I'm, I'm the first person for my family to go to college. And so I think, you know, when I got there, a guy by the name of Aparicio Clifton and Carlos Sanford were probably two of the first influential black men because they were the only two black men I knew that were successful that were, you know, at college educated. You know, I never had seen that before. Um, so I didn't know what that looked like. And so, you know, being around them, I think that was really, you know, influential for me. Uh, there's a guy, he's a white guy, but his name is Ron Paleka. He was actually a former Time Warner Cable executive. Um, I mean, I don't know why this guy would look out for me. I mean, once we signed the contract with them, he would let us go to the beach house, you know, uh, let us do a lot of stuff, you know, just that you probably wouldn't expect, you know, uh, an older white gentleman to do for a young black kid. Um, and I think that showed me that, you know, not all white people are bad, not all white people are good, but, you know, in terms of, you know, achieving that next milestone, sometimes you need people of different races, different colors. Um, 
And then I, I would say that probably the third most influential, or the, the last, I think he's fourth now, but the last most influential guy that I have, this guy by the name of Thomas Manning and Quantum Manning, uh, they were actually the the two people that they gave us $100,000 to start Home Lending Cow when it was really just mm. an idea and a design on a paper, you know. Uh, now, of course, he made me work for it for like two years before that, you know, he was like, you know, this idea isn't good enough. But uh, I mentioned them because, you know, when I was in Miami, these were two a successful black married couple, happily married. You know, they just had another daughter. They were living in a penthouse in Miami. I mean, they were they were living the life. And it's just like, you know, you, I had never seen that uh, before for from someone, you know, to come from where we came from to be, you know, successful. And they weren't successful. They were, he has his own company, you know, and he had grown that company from, uh, I think, seven people to about 90 people over the last like five or six years. And it was just like, man, like you can do things the, the right way. You know, you don't have to be in the streets or, be a professional athlete to be able to have you know a, a crazy level of success and be able to you know travel the world and get you know nice things and so i think those were the, the people that you know the specific, uh, specific relationships that really changed the game for me and really opened my eyes to you know greater opportunities uh, for myself no that's dope that's dope actually i mean if, if you don't mind me asking no 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 pressure here uh you mentioned successful um business person grew from seven to ninety but, but like, how did you actually meet the person? Like, how, how did that relationship even begin? Yeah, so our, our CMO, Frank Pollock, is, uh, he, he originally started as my advisor. You know, I had known Frank for a couple of years. And uh, in 2017, I moved to Miami over Silicon Valley, thinking that, you know, my mom was towards the end of her. She has cancer. Uh, so we thought that, you know, that was kind of going to be the end. Her bucket list was to move to Florida. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, if I'm going to be in Florida, I might as well move to Miami. And so Frank and Thomas, I went to college together at University of North Carolina. And Frank's like, hey, he doesn't know anyone down there. Uh, just take him under your wings and, and help him. Um, and so the first week I got there, Thomas was like, hey, let's 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 meet up. Let's hang out. You know, this is a 50 year old guy. You know, at that time, I'm only, you know, 32, maybe. Um, and so it's just like, OK, well, you know, I'll go over. And I'm not really expecting much. I'm kind of expecting. But he's like, oh, well, just come to my house. You know, we were originally going to go to a rooftop bar. Uh, but it ended up in, in, in Miami, it ended up raining that day, which obviously never happens. Um, so Thomas is like, well, change of plans, just come to my house. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know this guy, but you know, I'm going to go to his house and see what, see what he's doing, you know? And the thing of the crazy part about it is that Frank never told me about Thomas or his company or what he was doing, how successful he was. He was just like, hey, this is a guy that you need to meet and that, you know, will we'll take care of you in Miami. And so I go to Thomas' house. And as I mentioned, you know, I, I say, hey, I'm here for Thomas Manning. They're like, oh, well, you know, we're going to buzz you up. So they buzz me up and I'm at the penthouse and it's just like, wow, like this is crazy. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of how we met. And, you know, he just, for whatever reason, he stayed involved and, you know, he continued to call me over to have, have me hang out, to teach me life lessons and stuff like that. And, you know, I was more grateful for that. And I think that showed me that to kind of get out and help others you know you've never really made it until we all made it and you know again for whatever reason thomas does what he does uh he, he stayed involved in, in my life uh for those years so not I, I love it again another example of relationships really that sprung from people from top colleges as well and you know, that kind of goes down and, and trickles down from there that's awesome <laughs> that because so before i kind of kick it to philip for his for the people in his life that's really been you know influential I wonder how many how, how many times like all of us get those type of intros and but we don't really, you know, probably prioritize it, myself included. Oh, I want you to meet somebody. And you're like, well, eh, maybe I don't know that much about them. And maybe they're not that, quote unquote, important. You know what I'm saying? And you can just kind of let it slide on by. But you, you took the, the step and it's led to some amazing things. 
Yeah, um, and I think, you know, with Ron, I, I brought up Ron because, you know, it really taught the purpose of, of giving without having any expectations of receiving. Hmm. Um, and I think even when I met Thomas, you know, I think so often we get to this point where it's like, oh, well, if I made you that connection and you make $100,000 off that connection, you owe me something from that connection. Um, and with Ron, it was just like, no, you don't owe me anything. And I think, you know, going into the relationship with Thomas for, again, I knew him for about two years before he invested in the company, but I was constantly talking about the business, but I never actually asked him to invest initially. But as I, you know, expanded what Home Lending Pal was doing, it got to a point where he said, hey, this is a viable business. You know, I, I will, I'll be your first investor. And I think, you know, just that when you talk about building a relationship, it was the fact that I built a relationship with him. I didn't go in saying, hey, give me, give me, give me. It was more, hey, here's what I'm at. Here's what I'm doing. What do you think? And how can I make it better? And I think by doing that, that really earned Thomas's respect. Because you got to think when people have money, you're not the only one that's asking them for right. something. You know, people are constantly asking them for stuff. And so uh, I, I think the fact that I went into that scenario not asking for anything but advice. I think that really is what won Thomas over and, and made him, you know, want to invest in the company. And again, without that investment, you know, home lending power doesn't get to, to where we're at today. So, wow, 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 wow. So, Philip, let's, let's take it over to you. I mean, who are some of those people in your life that's, that's made a huge difference? Yeah, uh, you know, at, at first, the one who started exposing me to, um, like he would say, a, a different lifestyle in a sense. Um, um, was the the Kansas City Royals baseball team. So I had guys like uh, George Brett. Um, I had guys like Tom Gordon. You know, the first time I, I drove a stick was a, a Porsche and, and, and a Viper. Um, but those guys also, th back then, those athletes also did other things. And so they were, the, the guys that I, they introduced me to business people, they were entrepreneurs. They would come to my high schools. You know, they would take me places just because they saw something else in me. Um, as far as, uh, you know, from the beginning, my father, uh, he was a very innovative person that he always was working on something, building something, even though he drove uh, for UPS, trying to invest in something. Um, he didn't have the knowledge, so everything didn't, didn't go well, um, but it always taught me that there was always more than one way to do something. Um, but I think when I, uh, the other influential was uh, my ex-wife's uh, father, uh, Dr. Albert Fontenot. He was a pres uh, vice president of Play School Toys, uh, president, he started his own company, president of, of uh, Fellows Office Supplier. Um, that was the first time that I, because, and let me tell you, regardless of who I was exposed to with the Kansas City Royals, I was exposed to some big name guys and, and it was just brief. Um, you were you were exposed to their professional self, right? And so, I've that my ex-wife's father was the first time that I was around a group of black men who listen to music like me, who mm. you know who who can go back and forth and talk and joke around and 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 relax. And I'm like, wait a minute, I see myself in them because mm. I didn't see myself before because I'm I'm not from where everybody else was from, right? And, and um. And, and so that was the first time that I was like, wow, I can really do this. And um, and believe it or not, I started looking at things like CNN just to learn how to talk, just to learn how to talk like them when they code switch. Right. Uh, and, and that started my journey of, of entrepreneurialism as well, because they showed me that, um, you know, that he was uh, her, he would always tell me, he said, you know, in other cultures, their their top student, their top child, um, they put them as an entrepreneur. The second tier child becomes a doctor, lawyer, you know, but in our community, our top person 
becomes a doctor or lawyer. Well, a doctor or lawyer can only change their their generation, their immediate household. But a a entrepreneur can change generations, right? Mm. Can change a whole family outlook. Um, and that kind of gave me that that entrepreneurial spirit as well. There was another guy named um, when I came to Kansas City named Dwayne Crompton. Um, and Dwayne Crompton, that was the first time that I actually experienced real deep mentoring. Um, because unfortunately, I, I just felt um, in the community that I was in that our older our older um, elders, they were still competing for jobs with me. Mm. And they were like, you know, and, and then, you know, I would talk to them and I would say, wait a minute, you you don't have any any successor like you're 80 and you're competing, you know, the, the two for dollars, for grants, for all this kind of things. And you don't have a successor or anything. Well, Dwayne was one of the first. Um, guys who were very successful, I mean, very successful businessman, um, and took me under his wing, took me to conferences, took me, you know, uh, you know, showed me the, the ins and outs of, of entrepreneurialism um, and really helped me get started. And then there was a uh, last, there was a lady named uh, Sally Williams, um, a little uh, white lady from Mississippi, but she was in Kansas City. Uh, and she used to be uh, top executives at, at different corporations. So uh, when I started going to pitch competitions, you know, because uh, at first that's how you have to unfortunately gather funds in our community. It's not a lot of people just don't automatically invest in you for, you know, for one reason or another, uh, being a minority founder. Um, but she she took me and kind of showed me the roadmap and the ins and outs and 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 didn't allow me to get frustrated, didn't allow me to quit um, because it wasn't that much representation because I always had to to talk to um, older white men in a room and they didn't understand, uh, you know, or, or care or see potential in me um, or the business, um, especially with that early stage where they're investing in you as a founder. Um, you know, they, no matter how much degrees I had, no matter how much experience, no matter how many businesses I, I started in the past, um, I just wasn't speaking their language or I didn't have that person to put that stamp of approval on. And, and that's what Sally, Sally really uh, put champions around me um, and to where those champions put that stamp of approval. Uh, and then, th you know, and sometimes that's all you needed and things started to line up for me. Nah, that's dope. That's dope. So so if you're, so this to you all too as well, but if you're watching, if you're listening and out there, think about the people who have just as they, as, as these two awesome people just laid out, think about the people who have played a pivotal role in your life. Right. Think about how you actually develop that relationship with with them. And and if you can't, if if you're if they're still here, if you have the ability to get in contact with them, reach out to them and just say thanks. Right. right. Um, give, right. give them a hand. I, I think it, it means the world for people. Right. And again, Brian and Philip, I encourage you all to do so if if you can. Right. Send them a note, kind of get, um, you know, get back in touch with people if you're not talking with them enough uh, or, or 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 recently. Um so let's let's shift a little bit around this this thing around relationships as it relates to what you see for diverse founders particularly in in tech right and so we've already established that in you know access to influential people um from companies from colleges at vc firms maybe other entrepreneurs are, are important from what you all see with other entrepreneurs do you see that many and i'll kick i'll start with brian with you first uh, do you see many uh, diverse founders being connected to, to the right people? Um, and, you know, if so, um, or if not, what do you think is the impact of that? Uh, yes and no. I think, 
you know, the initial connection sometimes does happen. It depends. Um, but when they're connected, it's not necessarily the way that, you know, a, a white founder or would be connected. You know, for us, it's more like, oh, you're connected to this person. That person only wants to give you advice. They're not looking to invest into the company. Um, I've had that happen a lot. Um, I think for us, you know, again, it's about us controlling our own destiny, you know, for, for guys like myself and Philip that, and Dr. Sorry, Dr. Philip, Dr. Hickman. No, you're fine. Philip. Uh, you know, for, for guys like us and, and, and women like us that are, you know, going out there being successful, it's about us kind of paving that way and, and bringing other stuff with us. I think we get so caught up in, you know, this is my egg and I'm not going to share how I've had success, but I think we have to, you know, even when you look at home lending power, you know, now, you know, we've raised 3.5 million, technically pre-revenue. I mean, we've had like $94,000 that we've gotten from grants, but technically we're pre-revenue still. And that is a very impactful story because that really doesn't happen with minorities. So instead of me just talking about, oh yeah, look at me, look at what I've done. It's more important to one, when I can make connections to different investors that I know will be interested in making those connections, but then all yesterday morning, I woke up at 8 a.m. to help a local Orlando uh, female, uh, African-American female pitch because it's her first time meeting with investors and she's so excited. And I have to tell her, you know, hey, not don't be, I mean, be excited, be ecstatic about it, but understand that, you know, when you meet with investors, it's a whole different, whole different ball game. You know, you're going to meet with a lot of them before you get that first yes, because unfortunately, uh, you know, our first introduction doesn't always lead to a immediate investment. You know, that rarely happens for us. And so uh, I, I think it's about us giving back and doing stuff on our own. But, you know, with everything that's going on in the past year, there are more introductions, but, you know, introductions are good. Advice is good, but money is better. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Philip, what, what what about you? I mean, how, how do you feel about, you know, and what are you seeing with relationships to influential people and, and diverse founders? You know, uh, Brian hit it on the head. Unfortunately for minorities, um, the relationships are always mentor relationships. <clears throat> They're not investments. Uh, and it's kind of weird because uh, I can see these investors. I mean, they're, and some of them are investors. <laughs> like they're investors, but the first thing they do is mentor and, and set me through. Uh, and the other things are programs, send me through programs and, you know, send me through, you know, curriculum and those kind of things. And I'm looking at my white counterparts and I promise you they're, they have ideas. Like I, I have a product, they have ideas and they're getting funded uh, left or right. Uh, and so, you know, a, a lot of it, and, and it goes both ways. It's not, it's not just uh, uh, white investors, it's, it's black investors as well, or, or, or black people that are a part of funds that maybe feel the pressure, I, whatever it is, I'm just saying on average, I'm not saying it always happens like that, but on average, the first thing that they want to do to us is mentor us as if we we haven't, you know, did our due diligence or we haven't went through programs or we haven't done those those uh, background things. The, but the, the problem is relationships are so important, like relationships are, are key because also the pathway to my success, the pathway to funding, all of it, uh, you know, was wrapped around relationships. Uh, and so. You know, I have a, 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 an entrepreneur friend, Roy Scott. And, and so, you know, Roy doesn't hesitate to connect you uh, to, you know, anything that he has done or any connections that he has had. You know, he's a he's a pivotal person that, that opens up his, you know, Rolodex, especially the even programs um, like this. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's important. Relationships are very important. Our relationships are necessary. 
Um, I think that, you know, sometimes that they're, that black founders are looked at different, looked at that we have deficits or we have something wrong with us and we have to be uh, mentored before any discussion is talking about walking us through a door or, you know, um, you know, connecting us to uh, fundings and those kind of things. But I think there's a large disparity in our community. Um, the other aspect of it is, I think between founders and Brian kind of alluded to it as well, is that there's, there's, you know, I hate to say, you know, because I don't want to be negative. There's, there's, I think there's a good groundswell of people who are trying to uh, collaborate and work together. But there's also an other side of it, um, just like you said, yes and no. There's a side of it where people are almost like crab in a bucket, right? And so they feel like they, they have barely, because they have barely, you know, skimped in on one connection or, or those kind of things. They hold on to that connection, and they want to be the only ones that have that attention of those connections as opposed to spreading the wealth or um, being able to tell people uh, from another founder standpoint, the pitfalls that, that we have to go through. I mean, it seems like every, every company, every minority company without uh, places like Goody Nation and those kind of things are reinventing the wheel. Like they're going over the same hurdles that everybody has went through um, and there's no rule books that's written. There's no, you know, um, again, without understanding where Goody Nation is, there's no access to, to good folks like this that, that kind of help you through that process of, of, of uh, going through hurdles and those kind of things. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just, it, we're in a, a weird, you know, uh, dichotomy uh, between two sides right now. Um, and, and that's the side of, um, yeah, you know, we create great tech. Um, we are very smart, innovative people, um, and we always have to fight to create our own resources. And instead of the network, uh, which we know that, you know, there's a small percentage of minority women in tech, there's a small percentage of minority in tech, period. But that small percentage also, um, there's, there's silos, uh, and they're not communicating with each other, and they're not, uh, you know, uh, uh, building and closing the wealth gap. Wealth gap. Um, you know, all too often in this last thing, all too often, um, even through relationships, um, the, the matrix, the target that I have to have to receive funding is totally different than other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's just, I mean, it's not weird because unfortunately we have to accept it and we just have to keep moving and, and you know, jumping through hurdles and obstacles, but it's just, I, you know, and I have to have a lot of perseverance but there's a lot of good companies, I think, that started and, and ended um, and could have made a real impact on this world and, and could have made a, a financial impact uh, in, in the black community. Um, but because of lack of resources, lack of relationships and, and, the, and the mindset that's out there for minority founders, uh, they came to an end. Yeah. So so um, before we, we go into what you all are working on now, I actually want to dig in a little bit deeper in terms of the what you were saying around the, the deficit or the perceived deficit for diverse founders. Uh, and so what we see and the reason actually why we started this initiative at Goody Nation, we saw that diverse founders and also social entrepreneurs typically receive funding about two venture investment levels lower than where their progress indicates. So in, in many cases, if, if, if founders were in some cases going for or non-diverse founders were going for like a series A, you know, um, or, or said a different way, diverse founders had, had maybe some milestones in traction, almost almost a, almost at the level of a Series A. They struggled with even getting a seed round, 
which is ridiculous to, to your point. Right. And so, right. um, you know, those perceived deficits is 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 what is really rooted in tr in lack of trust. So we talk about relationships, but the deeper part about that, in my in my opinion, is that the people that are influencers don't trust diverse founders and because they don't trust they can't go fast i mean they can't fund you when you just they're not going to fund you when you when you just got an idea on a, on a paper napkin right they they ask you to jump through more hoops or hit more milestones so on and so forth and so for me it's about creating more trust between diverse founders and also social entrepreneurs small backgrounds and then people that are influential and so you know i've always wondered you know what are the and i think in many cases we know why wow, these are things that have been in particular in american culture have been here for 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 centuries why isn't there more trust between people right you get down to and, and to your point philip like it's not just non-diverse influencers and diverse founders it's diverse influencers and then diverse founders as well. There's still a lack of connection there. So that to yeah. me is the, the big part. Yeah, because the reason why you know that is the, and, and, and not a knock because it's still needed, but even when you look at diverse founders or diverse funds, the, the, the people who they are funding are, like you said, further along um, where there's other funds and, and non-diverse funds and they uh, fund non-diverse people at a, like you said, at a lower stage with a lot more money, with a lot more support and communities gather around uh, to move these products. But the, the interesting thing, there was a, a, a research out that um, once um, I think black uh, companies actually, once the initial investment, they actually either raise more or it, it's, it's something that they're, um, that, that they are more stable, more stable of a bet than non-diverse uh, mm. companies uh, are. But, it, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's weird because with biases that sometimes research just doesn't matter. Like you, you would think the education part of it to put out more information kind of builds that trust. But there's, you know, sometimes such a strong historical backlog um, that, that people just, they just can't let it go, man. And, and like you said, it spills into both communities. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, it's tough. So let, let, let's talk about the future. Let's let's talk about where you all are headed now. Uh, it's kind of going to the, the final uh, part part of the show. So, so Brian, I wanna kick it to you. You know, where are things with Homeland and Power today? You know, any recent updates, you know, things you can share at least publicly, you know, where do you, where do you see yourself going uh, in the next few months in the year? Yeah, um, I mean, as I mentioned, we, we just closed another oversubscribe round, so, you know, uh, we have now raised a little bit over $3.6 million to date. Um, but to Phil's point, you know, it wasn't easy. You know, I've done 10 accelerators to get to this point. You know, on paper, we looked like we were a Series A company way before. And to Phil's point as well, you know, we had to really go and build our moat by being resourceful. Um, and our current lead investor, uh, there's another company, I won't say their name, but they were known to have copied, like literally pixel for pixel took our idea, copied it, and went out and raised $40 million. Oh, man. Literally, with our stuff. And so, nonetheless, uh, our lead investor met with their executive team and then met with ours, and they were like, no, it's clear that you guys are the ones that actually copied. They don't have any clue of what they're actually doing. They're just basically doing whatever you guys do. And, uh, and you can see that with a lot of the uh, partners and, and customers they have or a lot of the people that we have either worked with or turned around as or turned away as we've been trying to build this more inclusive environment 
for minorities. But I really think that that shows that, you know, we are as minorities, you know, very smart. We, we are very well educated and very good at building companies. It's just that that ability to get the resources that we need early uh, really impacts us. You know, now the platform has a little bit over 20,000 users, but I don't think we would have gotten there. You know, we had an investor move the bar. So, you know, for us, we were told, oh, we'll just show that 100 people will, show, will sign up for the platform. First month, we had 1,200 people sign up for the platform. <laughs> that's where it's like, oh, that's too small of a, a marketing center. Well, that's not what you said. You told me to get 100 people, and I, <laughs> I went way above that. And so, but it was a unique thing for us that even now, you know, I feel like the product is really only 70% complete. Uh, we just signed strategic partnerships with Experian and Realtor.com to improve the search feature and as well as bring FICO scores directly to consumers for free. Um, and I, I don't think we get there without building that consumer advocacy where it was unique, where people start coming in saying that, hey, this isn't a completely finished product and we know that, but instead of ripping you apart, tearing you down, saying we're not going to use it, instead, we're going to build you up. We're going to give you feedback and stuff that you can do, uh, constructive criticism. I think in our, our, in our you know, culture, we hate constructive criticism, but by us being willing to accept that constructive criticism, it has allowed us to improve the product leaps and bounds faster than what we would have done on our own and, and provide a better moat uh, for other companies that are trying to, you know, replicate or even, you know, steal our, our idea relatively speaking. So, um, so next, uh, now we have, you know, more than 300 lenders that have uh, invested and have a real interest, not, not only a, a public interest, but a behind the scenes invested interest uh, in ensuring that, you know, we get things, the resources, the tools that we need to bring them into our network and allow you know, minorities a greater chance at, you know, becoming homeowners. Uh, well, minorities and all, but definitely minorities is, is their main focus. And so, um, yeah, we just got to execute now. Now we have the opportunity. Now we got to execute. Nice, 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 nice. Philip, what's what's going on with uh, with Playbook, you know, today and, when, and, and what you have coming up? Uh, I, think you're on, I think you're on mute. Or maybe not. Yeah, sorry about that. Like you said, behind the scenes, we're trying to strengthen our mode. And so we are... Um, finishing up filing a, a few more patents uh, to kind of, you know, strengthen our, our uh, stronghold in our in our sector. Um, but as far as product design wise, so not only, um, you know, are we really shoring up our data set to be able to, to tackle on 145 different accents um, and also region and dialects, um, but we're also uh, now coming out with Spanish as well. So we, we can work with Spanish readers. We have you know, over 600 uh, books in our, in our library already. And so we're growing um, both English and um, duplicates in Spanish. Uh, and so we're able to, we're providing a, a more diverse mindset. Um, one of the things that we're working on is really be, uh, making sure that we're cultural, culturally sensitive, uh, meaning that uh, our, our model, our AI model, our artificial intelligence model, um, is being predictive and sensitive both to the, the race of the student that's reading as well and being predictive uh, in, in our predictive analytics when it starts to adjust the text, um, that it's adjusting the text and putting in words that are also relevant uh, to whatever region, whatever race or, or, or whatever uh, origin um, the reader is coming from. Uh, and so that's important to us uh, because we wanna make sure that the reader can can feel themselves within the book that they're reading, uh, along with the, the comprehension part of it. And so it's more of a, a social emotional push. Me also, not only being a former superintendent, but being a former uh, child psychologist uh, and, and school psychologist, I wanna make sure that, 
you know, that we're, we're, um, we're increasing um, the love of reading and the joy of reading uh, and the joy of reading turns into the joy of gathering knowledge. Uh, and, and, and without knowledge, that is, that is one of the key ways that us as a people uh, and us as a nation in the United States can advance ourselves um, is, is having that core knowledge and, and being able to understand what to do with it. Nice, 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 nice. So let's, you know, and, and this, this has been a, a, an amazing conversation. I, I, I loved it. Um, just kind of closing out, Brian, you know, how can people help? Um, and then how can people get in, in contact with you? Yeah, so from a consumer perspective, really just creating an account shows the demand. So one of the things we're trying to do behind the scenes right now with CFPB is, well, really with government agencies, but definitely CFPB is two things. The first is allowing the digital validation and verification of financial and credit information so that now I do not have to go meet with a, a lender in person. I can go online and validate who I am and the finances that I have without any face-to-face -face human interaction because we all know that that's where human biases lie. The second part of that is working with the CFPB to then allow for Honda data submissions uh, in terms of you, you have to disclose age, sex, and race. But our argument is that to truly create a more equitable home buying scenario, disclosing the race should come after the lending decision is made. So I shouldn't be forced to tell you if I'm black or anything until after you've decided if you're going to lend me a loan. Mm -hmm. um, so the biggest thing that anyone can do, everyone can do for us right now is just create an account. Um, have friends create an account and it, and it does work. So we'll give you back good information. You know, even if you're looking to buy a home within the next 30 days, if you're looking at buying a home within the next two, three years, create an account because the more accounts that we have, the more that leverage we're able to show with government agencies is why is this should be a priority and how this solves the problem. But more importantly, it forces them to prioritize the integration into our ecosystem to really prove out this pilot campaign with us. And so uh, that's my, my only ask is uh, to do that. Uh, and next month, we're planning on making an announcement uh, publicly. I mean, we're making it here. I'm making it here. But to $1,000 towards closing costs for those that are helping us. So, you know, as we are having success, we're going to give back to the community by helping you with your closing costs. But um, but that's that's all I can ask of you right now is create an account. Give me a big enough use case where I can go to, to Congress and Capitol Hill and really, you know, make a, a, a valid statement into to why this process is necessary. And, you know, not just have words or conversations, but an actual action plan that helps our people close on home ownership gap, you know, to still a page out of uh, Dr. Hickman's book, you know, um, last year was the best year ever in terms of buying homes. It was historically low mortgage rates. 84% of the people that bought homes were white, only 7% were Latino and only 4% were African-American. And it's not to say that we're only focused on minority groups, but our biggest argument is that by helping minorities, you're really helping everyone uh, because you're creating a more inclusive and transparent environment for everyone. So again, please just create an account with us and help us you know, build a use case. And what's that website? Uh, you can go to create an account by visiting www.homelendingpal.com or going to the Apple or Android market and searching Home Lending Pal and downloading the app. Nice, 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 nice. Philip, same question to you. How can people help? Um, how can they get in contact? Right. Um, you know, people can help. We're, we're starting a B2C. And so we want to make sure that parents have this great assessment tool. And we also are putting an a augmented reality um, uh, education app on the market as well uh, for that B2C play. Um, and, and I think that's important that, that parents are able to take control. Um, one of the things that we kept hearing from the result of the pandemic was that 
that because parents have to be so involved in their child's education, they realize that their child was not at the level that that was being reported with the school system. Uh, and, and a lot of people became concerned and they wanted to know how they can get involved. And so uh, one of them is look out for Playbook, P-L-A-B-O-O-K, um, on the on the app store you can follow us um and, and definitely on our website at www.plaboookeducation.com so playbookeducation.com um and and we're coming out with some real good innovative tools um that that uh, parents can use not only to assess their child but a good recommendation engine uh in a real prescriptive way that they can um better their child's education and, and give their child the foundation that they deserve Awesome. 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 Now, this has been a phenomenal conversation, gentlemen. Thank you a ton. Uh, I just learned a lot in the last few few minutes about how parents discovered uh, their children weren't as far along. Again, we talk about this thing through the context of the racial wealth gap in this country, just the sheer amount of, of people of color who, who did not purchase homes um, you know, in the last year. But also just to me, actually, Brian, the one the, the things that, that really uh, is the, the light bulb moment and the, the, the duh moment is I get that race has to be included, you know, in applic in applications, but it doesn't have to come before, you know, the decision is made. And right. so I, I'm thinking like that, that's like a thing like should be done for, for everything. And, it, and yeah. if anybody has a problem with that, then we got to start asking some hard questions about them. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I talk about it all the time, you know, uh, new tech built on old, broken processes or views doesn't allow for systemic change and that system wasn't built for us you know so um the only way to change it is to change the, the process there it is there it is everyone this is awesome this is awesome please support these uh these amazing founders as they are continuing their journey to make the world a better place and more sustainable for us all um thanks a ton follow us at goody nation on all social media channels uh, hop onto our website, uh, goodnation.org. Support us. Sign up for our mailing list and support the founders. Again, this is this is a pleasure. And be back. Um, we'll be back with you all soon. So be on the lookout for the next episode of Why Relationships Matter. Peace out, y'all.